Lord, now as we open Your Word, we recognize and acknowledge it is God-breathed. And as we do, we ask, Lord, that You would cause our hearts to receive it, prepare us through Your Holy Spirit now to, to use it to, to, to strengthen our walk with You. And again, Lord, as we prayed earlier, cast all distractions aside that we may just really draw into Your Word this morning and its understanding. Again, we worship you and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last few weeks we've been going over the Beatitudes. And uh, today uh, we're going to enter into uh, verse 9, and blessed are the peacemakers. But again, I would like to read through... uh, chapter 5, verse 2 through verse 9, putting it all together. And Jesus opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers is what we're looking at this morning. We've talked about what it is to be poor in spirit, coming to that point in time in your uh, life where you finally recognize, where God opens your eyes and you see that you are a, a sinner, that you have nothing to bring to the throne for your salvation, and that you're desperate, you're helplessly, hopelessly lost, and you begin to mourn over your sin and and you come with that humbleness in the sense of understanding He and He alone has the, the plan of salvation through His grace. And then the reality of, of, of setting in your salvation, Holy Spirit inside you now working through you. And you open the Word of God and for the first time you begin to see it in eyes that begin to put it together and to understand it. And there's a hunger and a thirst that would grow from that. And... He tells us, as much as we hunger and as much as we thirst, we will be satisfied. And what I hope I was successful in pointing out is is that as you are satisfied, it creates even then a a greater hunger and thirst to know Him better. So we continue to study His Word. We continue to grow. And it's a cycle of growing in the Lord. The hunger and thirst is satisfied, but it's never, I, I don't know how to put it, it's never quenched in the sense of always wanting to grow and to receive more. And so that's what He desires to see us. As we come poor in spirit, mourning over our sins, humbly accepting His salvation, and hungering and thirsting after His righteousness, a transformation begins. And His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness starts to work through us. First, we we see it as He offers it to us, but then we begin to see it as we offer it to others. We become merciful towards other people and their needs, and, their, and, their, and, it, and it ranges in the full gamut, in my mind, of, of what it is to be merciful. Uh, and, and then pure in heart, which we talked about last week, the idea of, of, of the Holy Spirit working in us to sanctify us. It's an amazing thing for me to think in terms of, of, of knowing that God sees it both, both done and yet happening. We're told that, that our, we are justified and, and, and we have Christ's righteousness covering us and we stand before the throne of, of God 
as holy as He is holy because of Christ and His blood covering us. And yet at the same time, we're told uh, in other Scriptures to work out our salvation. The working out our salvation is that point where we submit and yield to the Holy Spirit as He causes the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the, the gentleness, the kindness to, the, to grow in us. And the transformation of, of change, not just changing our hearts, but literally transforming us. Drawing us into His presence more and more. And that brings us today to the idea of being a peacemaker. And to be a peacemaker, you must know what peace is. And so we're going to begin with that idea of of uh, what what it is to to have peace. And by the way, as soon as I started looking at at, at this, it, you start thinking about what I what I call all the peace scriptures that are those that you you've got in your your memory bank or that you think about, uh, where Jesus, for instance, says, "Peace I I give to you," or "I leave with you my peace I give to you." Not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And and so we have that idea that Jesus has given us a peace. And it's, it's not a peace that the world can give. It's not the kind of peace that you'll find anywhere in the world. In fact, this peace is totally unavailable unless you are saved, unless you have the Holy Spirit in you. And... He tells them uh, that same evening as he mentioned that scripture, chapter 14 of John, chapter 16 of John, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I was, there's uh, just so many of the, the, the different scriptures. The one that I was also thinking of was Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart so that, uh, to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in you. And so I, it's important to understand right off what this peace is. And I'm going to say, I'm going to make it as simple as, as I can because it, I, I, I see it this way as in, in a, a simple picture in, in a sense, two parts. There's the, the piece that you have, um, one commentator called it experiential. In other words, the kind of piece that you experience uh, through the circumstances of the world that come around you, day-to-day situations and trials. Um, you can find uh, in the, the, the letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter 4, uh, Paul is, is writing uh, about this. And, and so chapter 4, um, oh, let's go to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I, I look at this and say, you know, Paul is, is of all the people to say, that almost in a sense, rejoice in all things. It doesn't matter what the circumstances. And think of all the circumstances that Paul has been through. I was I was putting this together in my thoughts, and I was thinking. What are the things that up, you know, upset my apple cart easily? And 
I'm sure you guys have a list of your own as well. Uh, I'm one of these guys that I really get frustrated when at, at, at car troubles. And this week, you know, well, actually over the week, my brakes go out on my truck. Ordered new brakes, got them all. My son has a friend that he works with who's a mechanic. He's going to do my brakes for me. And we, so we ordered them. And we even went, you know, Amazon. <laughs> you know, has everything. And, and so we're tracking it, and it goes, you know, on the East Coast it starts, and it goes this place, this place, this place, all, all within the same state. And then all of a sudden it's in, in a place that, that, that Mathers, California was the last place I could find it. And I'm thinking, where in the world is Mathers, California? It's in the middle of the Yosemite area. I don't know how my, my box of, of brakes and rotors got to that area, but that's where they were. And when I got them, finally, uh, after, you know, uh, I opened it up, and, and the brake pads, the, the boxes that the brake pads are in, are all crumbly, uh, torn apart, and, and the, the, the tabs on them that, that lock them in place onto your, your wheel are broken. It looks like somebody had been into it already, tried them, and then and, and broke them and put them back in the box, and then let them, I don't know. So we called, they shipped, and not only did they ship the brake pads, they shipped everything again. So now I have, you know, uh, two complete sets of front wheels, uh, you know, uh, rotors, brake pads, and everything. And I'm not quite sure how that all works out logistically as to getting it back to them, too, because the shipping's going to be expensive. Um, but I look at all of this, and I'm just saying how easily frustrated I find myself over things like this. And then Paul tells me, rejoice in all things. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how am I supposed to? And, and, you know, my wife, bless her, she comes alongside. She says, well, you know, maybe the fact that you can't drive your truck this week is keeping you from having a catastrophe of some kind. You know, and, and, I'm, and, and I appreciate that because uh, I needed to hear something positive. And, and so I'm just looking at day-to-day circumstances. Paul is saying that even in the day-to-day circumstances, as we rest in Christ, we can have peace. But I realized as we were looking at this, uh, that if you're just resting in day-to-day circumstances and you're like I am, and you're, you, know, you, you, you can be influenced by the negative side of things, your, your day-to-day peace level kind of goes like this. And I think we all experience this up and down uh, and, and, and so I was looking and saying, okay, you know, what's the opposite of peace in this context? Well, the opposite of the peace is to be anxious or to be worried or to be frustrated. And I, and I realized, you know, Jesus has a whole discourse in, uh, later on in the Sermon on the Mount about not being anxious, not worrying about things, but resting in God and all things. And then again, back to what Paul wrote uh, to the Philippians. And I, and I realized that uh, as much as possible, I need to be at peace with the world. And then I realized, well, that's a quote of Scripture by itself coming out of Romans chapter 12. And, and pursue what makes, all, uh, makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So, and that's from Romans 14. And, and so the idea is, is that in the day-to-day circumstances, we are to look to God, to look to Christ, the Holy Spirit working in us, for a sense of peace in spite of the circumstances. And I recall every time I, I, I would say something to the effect of, 
of uh, and and I got set up by Bill Nesmith. Some of you uh, knew him well, and and Bill Nesmith would set me up. He would say, "How are you doing today?" And he knew that I was going to say, "Find under the circumstances." And then he would inform me that I'm not supposed to be under the circumstances. I'm just supposed to be resting in Christ. And uh, so we have this 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 picture that. Uh, there is an experiential peace that we can have. And I was looking also the opposite of a peacemaker then. If you're to be a peacemaker, what would be, what would be the opposite of a peacemaker? A peace unmaker. No. Uh, think about it. What would be the opposite? An antagonist. Okay. What was a troublemaker? Okay. A person who causes anxiousness and worry. News. Uh, politics, uh, you know, uh, but anyway, uh, things that, 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 you know, there are people who love to stir the pot and cause things to be stirred up to bring you at a, a point of unrest. But the idea of a peacemaker is a person who sees that and, and in, in, in various situations, first for yourself, but then you start to expend it, as, as Paul said in Romans 14, you start to share that in a sense of seeing other people who are frustrated or anxious, and bringing a sense of, of, of encouragement and peace to building them up as well. So there's that experiential side of peace. And uh, the world is, is in desperate pursuit of, 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 uh, to experience peace. Think about, even though I just knocked the news, but to think about the current news and the idea of treaties and and being at peace and trying to keep peace and 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 all the things that are going on, uh, especially in the Middle East, and it doesn't matter, you know, global to personal. Uh, there's things that are going on that that you know the, the world is just saying, I want to be at peace. The drug abuse, a large part of it, is people trying to, for a moment, be at peace. Alcohol abuse, other addiction problems. And I was reading a, a very little, you know, small commentary written in the 1950s on, on the, the Sermon on the Mount uh, by a uh, teacher by the name of Edward Elson. And it's just one that was given to me. I've had for years and I, and I was reading it and he was talking about uh, the treaties of the past trying to achieve peace. And he talked about economic peace, military peace, and even human rights peace. And, and he said, it's always going to be at odds, always has been and always will be. In a fallen world without Christ, it will always be a dilemma. It will always be a problem. And he cited somebody that I think probably, based on what I could read of his age and stuff, uh, that he was looking back almost in a personal way at the end of World War One and the forming of the League of Nations. That was going to bring peace, and that was going to be the war that would end all wars. And we were going to be able to, you know, through education and, and through uh, social interaction and, and, and bringing food to the needy and what, all these different things, we were going to be able to achieve a global peace. And uh, after the second war that was going to end all wars, 
uh, the League of Nations having failed, uh, the forming of what we have now, the United Nations. And yet to see the peace that everybody thought that that was going to ultimately bring. And so man is striving for this. And uh, Elson wrote, In all the history of the human race, there has been only one real peace treaty. That was at Calvary, where God was reconciling the world to Himself. And I thought that was a powerful little statement, a little nugget buried in the midst of these thoughts that he was giving. Now, keep that in mind. There's the, the idea of, 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 of peace in the sense of circumstances in the world around you. But there's a second piece which is actually, I believe, the piece that we're really looking for here. And that is, and, and, and it is titled by a number of, of, of commentators as judicial peace. Because of sin, man is at war with God. We're told more than once in, in the, in that, that we are enemies with God until we come to Him through Christ and the blood of Christ. That we're enemies, that we're strangers, that we are aliens, meaning that we are not citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we're citizens of the world. And it's interesting, as soon as we become citizens of heaven, he says, you're no longer of the world. You might be in it, but you're not citizens of the world now. You're citizens of my kingdom. But until we accept Christ, we are enemies with God. We are strangers to God. We are aliens. And it's because of this that our day-to-day experiential is so up and down. The more the when you can't rest in Christ at all because you don't have salvation, you're you know you're totally dependent on the world for whatever peace you can find and whatever you can struggle to achieve through it. Uh, I was uh, told by my family, uh, brought up the, uh, that uh, my dad and my and my mom both uh, considered the idea of, of accumulating of wealth and property would bring peace. And in both cases of of, of my my dad and my and my mom, up until the time that they. Uh, few years apart from each other, but went into comas that they never came out of, right up to those points, they, as I would share Christ with them, they would say, that's fine for you, it's not for me. And they were looking for everything they could find in the way of, of property, of cars, uh, uh, travel, uh, all sorts of things that would make their day-to-day life a little bit exciting and, and something where they could say, you know, at least I've experienced this. And my dad especially was... was Saying that that he was glad for me that I had you know found an answer that brought me peace, but he was really concerned that it was a delusion. In fact, when I went off to Bible college, my dad was convinced that I probably had become part of a cult. Uh, he just yeah, he couldn't see me making this transition after being raised with common sense. Uh, but you see, he was looking at peace strictly from the point of view of the world. And, I'll, and, and, and as I started to rest in the peace of Christ, uh, I, I realized I wanted so much to have him have that. Uh, there is a peace 
that comes through Christ, that only comes through Christ, a judicial peace. And what we're talking about is this area where we're enemies with God. It solves the problem of being enemies with God. That's what we're looking at when we're talking about judicial peace. We're trying to find that way to be at peace with God. That we can rest with a confidence that the God of creation is, is that we have a relationship with Him. The thing that's keeping us away from that is our sin. And there is no way around that in and of yourself. Period. And there is nothing that the world can give you that will solve the problem. There is nothing you can obtain from the world that's going to solve the problem. It comes through Christ and Christ alone. The back of your bulletin, and I've referred to it a few times before, is the the Roman road and draw your attention to it in the sense that you can see this here's the progression that we look at. We 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 say first and foremost that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we look at the wages of sin is death. Now keeping that scripture for the sake of memory work altogether there, but just take a moment and, and just stop there for the wages of sin is death. And then move down to verse uh, chapter 5, verse 8, the next one. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still resting in our wages of sin, Christ died for us. Then go back to chapter 6, verse 23 and finish it. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then... Chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We start with the idea that the Roman road is, is, opens us up. If we went to Ephesians chapter 2, we would see that we are saved by grace through faith. And even that, a gift from God. In chapter 2 also of Ephesians, it tells us that you were once far off, but now you've been brought near again through Jesus Christ, His grace, His mercy. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us that we've been justified by faith. We have peace to be at one with God. To be whole, to be complete with God. To stand before God through Jesus Christ. When we have this peace, I believe we actually gain control in the sense of the other one to the point where we can actually rejoice in each day. Where we can actually be thankful and, and, and in the midst of even trials and tribulations, we can turn around and realize and, and Paul tells us this in more than one place, but in Romans chapter 5, he tells us that as we go through trials and tribulations, we can actually rejoice even in those. I know a lot of you in here and, and, and the, some of the trials and tribulations you've been through. And when you hear that idea of rejoicing in the midst of those, you're thinking, man, <laughs> you, know, you, you don't know what I've been through. And, and in a sense, 
unless I've experienced it, I, you're, you're right. I can't understand fully your grief. For instance, somebody said, well, you've lost uh, family members. You know what it is. To, and, and, and somebody sharing with me the grief, grief of losing a spouse. No, I don't know that grief. I really, I do not. I've seen it. I understand a little bit of it, but I don't know it. You know, and, and can you rejoice even in the midst of that? Well, I know in one way you can if, the, if your spouse knows the Lord. You can turn around and say, I know I'm going to see them again. There's a great comfort in that. A great sense of joy in that. In fact, there becomes when you see a loved one and you know a loved one has gone ahead of you to where you look at it just that way. They've actually graduated in a sense. They've gone ahead. They're at a point where we long to be. And until we are there, we will move on through Christ and we will seek His face and we will strive to, to, to draw close to Him. But we long for the day where we are face to face. Paul didn't hesitate to say, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. He didn't say rest there and, and go no further, but he didn't hesitate to, to say there's nothing wrong with wanting to be face to face with Christ. And I realized, you know, you think about it, what happens when Christ returns. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Powerful picture. And, I, I, and it was pointed out to me at one point as I was saying, um, the Lord's going to come before my daughter's a teenager, I hope. And... Uh, that was my first child, so I was still working through you know, all the, the things that parents work through. And, and uh, I said it, obviously, as a, a, a kind of a, you know, a humorous way of looking at things. And it's obvious that I'm not prophetic because my, my daughter's 40 and I have uh, three grandchildren from her. And, uh, so it, it didn't happen. But the, a friend of mine, uh, a teacher... Uh, who was uh, that I was just learning things about the Lord at that point, and and he uh, pointed out to me that my longing for Jesus to return wasn't to get out from underneath the circumstances of this world and to and all the things that are negative. And I thought, yeah, I, I, I have a deteriorating body, bad, you know, you know, all these different things. Yeah, I, I'm anxious to get out. He said, no, your primary motive is is to Realize that Jesus Christ will be glorified. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He will be exalted even by those who have, have rejected Him. They will recognize who He is. He will finally get all the recognition, if you will, that He was due here on earth in the first place. He, and He says that's what you are supposed to get to the point where you're longing to see Christ glorified fully. And... and, 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 and and then the ushering in of the new heaven and the new earth. And I, I can't help but say that I, I, I think it's actually a balance of those things. To be excited and long for, personally, that great time of new heaven, new earth, new body, and the face-to-face with Christ, but also the joy and, and the wonder of exalting the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are justified by faith, and as a result, we have peace with God, when we have this peace, my life is no longer subject to the circumstances, the environment, the surrounding. And there will be no peacemaking without this peace in place. In other words, you can't find a peacemaker in the sense of Christ's reference without 
first there being salvation, being at peace with God. The peacemaker must be first this. One who is at peace with God. The result is that, again, he's at peace with his circumstances. He can even come to the point where Romans 8.28 becomes a reality for him. All things work together. All things work together for the good of those who are are in Christ Jesus, who are resting in Christ Jesus, and for the kingdom of for His purpose. Peacemaker. This is the person who has come to know Christ, who hungers and thirsts after the Word of God, whose mercy is working in him, whose desire is to be right because it's, it's, it, it glorifies God to have to be sanctified, to draw closer to Him. His desire is to be at peace as much as it's up to him in the sense of the circumstances around him. But even more, the idea of peacemaker is that he wants to carry the peace of Christ that he has to someone else. To share salvation of Christ. To share the ministry of Christ. The grace of Christ with someone else. To share peace before the throne of God with others. And I know you're familiar with this verse. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good news of happiness, who proclaim salvation. Isaiah chapter 52. Also, other quotations in the Scriptures, Romans chapter 10. A peacemaker is one who has learned to view all situations through the Gospel. I go back to the gentleman I quoted earlier with that. A peacemaker is one who has learned to view all situations through the Gospel. Or, and I thought it was interesting he would add it this way, in the light of the Gospel. So a peacemaker is interested in, in, in sharing first and foremost the judicial peace that has brought him into a relationship with God that allows him to stand before the throne of God, that allows the grace of God to work in him. And so he desires to share his salvation when and where he can. And we should find ourselves praying for opportunities to share our faith. And I think you'll, you know, if you are praying for that, uh, I believe God will open your door to be sensitive to those around you, to where you're sharing your faith. And sometimes you, you know, you'll share your faith, and you'll never know what it has done. But you know, that's not what our goal is. Our goal is simply to have the opportunity to share our faith with someone else, and 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 hope that the Holy Spirit will work in that. But also to help people experience peace in a fallen world as much as it is possible for you to help and as much as it is up to you to be at peace. There's a, uh, a psalm that uh, I had initially thought of reading this morning, Psalm 85, but one verse that uh, I want to share with you out of it is, is, is verse 10. 
Psalm 85, verse 10 says, Steadfast love or mercy and faithfulness or truth meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. It's a picture of the cross in the sense of, again, mercy and truth uh, meet and righteousness and peace kiss each other. The idea of, of righteousness, wanting to have it, to be right before the throne of God, and I can't get there, but because of what Christ has done, righteousness and peace kiss each other on my behalf. They come together. Mercy and truth come together. And as a result, I can experience peace. The, the word peace that we're talking with is also tied to the Old Testament word peace, shalom. Again, a, a, a word that has bro- is broad in its meaning to, to ask God to bless and to, to, to strengthen, to, to bring uh, success and, 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 and happiness and joy into people's lives, but also the idea to be right with God. And I was looking for where this idea was used as just as a greeting and how often it's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's one of those places, you know, John chapter 20, verse 19. Uh, there's, there's men in an upper room. Doors are locked. Windows are, you know, shut. And all of a sudden, Christ is in the room. And he says, peace be with you. Shalom. <laughs> Peace be with you. And I thought, brought a whole new impact to that word right there. Because there was no peace for them. They were, it says they were in that room in fear. Closed up because of the fear that they would be next to be arrested and persecuted and, and taken possibly even to the cross. And Jesus shows up and he says, Peace be with you. And take, I, I, it would have to take him back to the, to the night uh, a few nights before when Jesus had said, "My peace I give to you." As we enter into a time to share communion, first to rejoice in that God has brought us peace, but I think also with the prayer this morning that God would cause us to be peacemakers as well. Not only to rest in what He's done for us, but to become active in, in desiring to see that shared with others and, and to, as much as possible, and, and as much as it's put into your responsibility and, and, and ability to bring peace to other people around you. I'd ask the ushers to come forward, uh, to, uh, pass the, com- the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
away my sin. Jesus, thank you. But the, the next act, the Father's wrath completely, completely, totally satisfied. That's the peace. We couldn't have it. Why? Because we were an enemy. But we're now seated at your table. 
I believe that's a picture of the marriage feast table. Now we're seated. But this is a prelude to that. Every time we come to communion, we come to the Lord's table, we are celebrating what He has done for us and what He is doing and what He has yet to do until He comes again. He tells us to do this as often as we gather together until He comes again and to do it in remembrance of Him. And so we're seated at this table this morning together as a prelude to being seated at the marriage feast where He says He will share again with us. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he instituted this whole picture initially with the taking of the bread and, he, and after giving thanks to it and breaking it and, and giving it to his disciples, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Letting us know that this bread from until he returns will become the picture for us that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we asked, he asked us that as often as we would do this, we would do it in remembrance of him. We sang the words that the blood has completely washed away our our sins. God is completely satisfied through Jesus Christ as He gives us His mercy and grace and love. As we confess with our, our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God, we come to a reality that this picture of what Christ has done is what we are celebrating, that we've lived in and 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 what it's done for us. And we have the time, the point to ask not only to say thank you for the peace, but Lord, as we share in this cup this morning, cause us to be peacemakers. In every stretch of that word, judicially in the sense of, of sharing Christ's grace and, and, and also in the sense of bringing peace where we can. In, whether it's at home or around us at work, whatever. And uh, Jesus asked that as often as we would drink this cup that, that was the picture of His blood poured out for us to purchase the covenant of grace. He asked as often as we would do this, we would do it in remembrance of Him until He comes again. Father, again, we thank You. We worship You. Lord, we come to You admitting that uh, we know our shortcomings. You tell us that as we come to communion, it's not only a time of, of rejoicing in what You have done, but also a time of examining our hearts and, and looking to You and asking, Lord, that You would open us uh, our hearts and reveal to us not only the great joy that You have brought us, but, Lord, the areas that we have fallen short, the areas that we have failed that we can come to You not only confessing our sin, but rejoicing in the reality that as we confess, You forgive and You restore. Thank You, Lord. We ask, Father, this morning that we would go with the desire not only to celebrate the peace You have brought us, but to share it with others. In Jesus' name.